0: Hi, this is Jeff Davis. I spent many years just down the road playing rock and roll along the lakefront in Chicago at WLS Music Radio. This year's a banner year for Radio Centennials. That's why I'm happy to wish my brothers and sisters in radio a heartfelt 100th anniversary at 1440 WROK in Rockford, Illinois. Sometimes people just need a really good reason to get back together and enjoy each other. This is one of those occasions. Getting behind the microphone again and sharing those seldom told tales is a special feeling these folks didn't want to pass up. The studio is filled with decades of photos, bumper stickers, buttons, albums, t-shirts, jackets, original signs, and well-deserved industry awards. Here's to WROK's 100 years of broadcasting in Northern Illinois and Southern Wisconsin. And now, more radio stories between old friends on another episode of The Storyteller Studio. Welcome back to Storyteller
1: Studio. Today, joining me is Chuck Doyle. And Chuck and I have known each other since we were about 17 years old.
2: Uh, That is true. Isn't that crazy? That that is
3: true.
1: When we first started working at WLUV Radio, which it came 360 in 2020 because Joe Salvi died at the age of 98. And all of a sudden, we're back at the radio station helping them try to
2: figure out what to do. What a unique story. Who owns a radio station that long? <laughs> who, who actually has the thing going that long? Yep. I mean, this is something they should have did on uh, CBS Morning on Sunday or something. Oh, of course. This guy bought these radio stations in, what, 50s? 63, uh,
1: I think. 63, okay. And it, and it being W About the same time
2: Vern Nolte bought... Yeah, about that same time. Uh, bought these radio stations. Yeah. And ran it himself for many years. Oh, for many years up until he was ninety-seven year, 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 yeah, years yeah. old, and died there. Yes. He lived there and died there. And what a unique story. I mean, that's 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 Rockford Radio, mm-hmm. and the radio station never never made it far. Okay, it was no. never. But he never needed to. But he died very rich, but lived very... I would Modest. Modest, <laughs> modest is not the word. He lived like a hobo, yeah. like a train hobo. Yeah. and um, No wife, no
1: kids. No wife, no kids. No. And, and you have to save every wire and every knob because you may use it he, 10 yeah, years yeah, from now. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. He was using equipment that really was post-dated. I mean, there was no computer in this r- deal, was there?
1: No, not until we... Revamped yeah, everything. there was no
2: computer. I mean, he was using stuff that was even outdated when we started. <laughs> yes, that was it. And Sue came in. It was like a
1: hoarder's house. Oh yeah, it was. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah there yeah. was stuff piled everywhere. So she came in and renovated it. Well, now it looked from a hoarder's house to a uh, townhouse. And now all of a sudden we were happy to do shows in there. So we right. did for eight months until it was sold.
2: And eventually it'll weave that story will weave into this story because mm-hmm. he had an FM frequency, ninety six point seven, mm-hmm. and he sold it to Cumulus and it was five point five million dollars. Yep. And that's he had millions of dollars in the bank, but he still lived like that.
1: He never changed the he way he never lived? did. And no. that
2: is an old Italian guy from South Rockford Yeah, that this is how it is.
1: And 96.7 ended up turning into the Eagle. And it turned into the Eagle, which, which is, is part of yeah.
2: Connoisseur's deal.
1: Yeah, and then... Cumulus and then Town Square and right. all that other stuff. Yeah. And so, if
2: anybody's listening, you know, I'm going to tell you straight up that probably corporations ruined this radio business. And I'll tell you that <laughs> right now. Okay, so let's, let's go on. And you won't be the only one to say that, well, in the course, of that. course of I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> uh, technology killed it, too. Uh, it, you know, a lot of things killed the radio that we knew.
1: It did, much like robots will ruin some of the part of manufacturing. Yes. Yes, I think. Because you remember when WROK, when I walked in that radio station and Nick Scott showed me around, when I started a high school radio station and I needed a Jerry's Hamburgers commercial because I sold them a commercial, they gave me a reel. I I couldn't do anything with a reel at the high school, so I needed it dubbed onto a cart. So I called the radio station. They says, oh, yeah, yeah, come on over. Nick Scott met me at the front desk. He took me around, showed me the WZOK Beautiful Music Automation. Big giant reels. Right. Gave the reel to reel to Mark Larson, and he went in and dubbed it in the production studio. And to
2: a, a cart. Yes. You had a cart machine. Yeah. Yes. Well, we you had... were further advanced than WLUV. I know. WLUV I know. had a cart machine, but it <laughs> laid flat. It was like built in. It was a flat piece. You're kidding me. No. Now remember, I was there about a year before you. Yes. So you pushed it in. It was made out of metal, and they put it into the countertop. You pushed a cart in, and then you pulled up a black knob, oh, which pulled that, uh, that roller knob. up. I do remember picked, that. Pulled the roller yes. up. Yes. And then you press play.
1: Oh, I do remember yeah. that. Holy That's how cow. old
2: those cart- Neo was. Well,
1: you realize the only reason we had good equipment at W.A.R.Q., which is the high school radio station, is because Shotgun Mark Rivers, now Mike Lamb, helped us get that studio from Vern Nolte, and it was an old production studio in the upstairs of the garage. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we had the good stuff. It was very generous. Yeah, well, and he invented
2: it. I'm not sure, but a lot of the old stuff today is at the Children's Museum, isn't it? I heard that
1: it's at the Midway Museum archives, and they rotated in. Okay. Yeah, Midway Village.
2: Because the children's thing had, oh, little kid's radio station. I'm like, hey, that's the old AM uh, production room board. Oh, well, they might have donated
1: some to yeah. one and some yeah. to the you other. Should, I don't you should know. look into that. You know, Sarah Wolf is still there at uh, Discovery Center. I could call her and ask her because it would be nice to have pictures of Do it. I know her? Uh, you would know her face. Okay. And uh, Laura Furman is the curator over at Midway, and I could call her and say, "Hey, by the way, do you have this kind of stuff? Because it'd be good to get in and take pictures of, take it and picture then of it and walk away." Sure. Exactly. Wow. How did you get your job at WROK?
2: Well, let's have a conversation about that. <laughs> you know, you and I, and just a small handful of these people that worked here are locals. Oh yeah. You know, let's go back to you and I as kids. Mm-hmm. We heard the guy on the radio. Mm-hmm. It was probably our only outlet to the world. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I'm not a psycho psychologist, okay, or an analyzer. but
1: No, but you know I'm, things. I,
2: I'm an observationist. Yes. Okay. And looking at some of the people I worked in radio with, you know, they were either only kids, loners. Yes. Okay. Some were the fat kid that had no friends. Yep. Some were the attention-getters. And either
1: way, radio was appealing to all those categories. Yes. Yes.
2: But listening to radio in Rockford at that time, it's like they sent out these darts, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these poisonous darts. (laughs) And a few people like me or you, we got it.
1: Yeah, it gets in your blood. And it
2: was in our bloodstream.
1: Yeah, and there's no way to pee that out when it's in you. And and
2: we listened, (laughs) and we went... Up and down the dial, just like many other guys in their hometown.
1: We had the luxury of Chicago.
2: We did. We, we had, had the, luxury the luxury of
1: Milwaukee. We had the luxury of Madison, but especially Chicago with Larry Lujack and Tommy Edwards and Bob Surratt and John Records uh, Landecker and all those guys.
2: Huge. Going back to even before them, CFL, Super CFL. Oh, sure. Uh, Dick
1: Bianchi, Wally Phillips, all those guys. Right. Those yeah. were
2: on the other ones. So you're not a loner. I'm not really a loner. And I'm not an only kid. You're not an only kid. No, But, you know, <laughs> I had sisters and, you know, and I had my neighborhood buddies and stuff like that. But something, when that dart hit me uh-huh. and that poison got in me, <laughs> I'm like, I want to be on the radio. Yeah. And
1: you can't explain
3: it. Yeah. I no.
2: wasn't, you and I are not really attention getters either. Although that's what helped propel our career a little bit by going out and doing promotions and being able to be a master MC and a dj at the same time Yeah, remotes and stuff like that yeah Yeah.
1: because some people just don't want to have any part of that correct they want to be in the studio and
2: that's it and you know what and i i don't mind that one bit because radio is theater of the mind it is and sometimes i didn't want to always be seen i want to be heard you make your own conclusions what I look like.
0: But
1: those advertisers knew that you could take that theater of the mind and you could present something for either their car dealership or their bowling alley or their whatever. For cheap. And, yes. <laughs> and, and bring those people in because you painted some kind of a picture. And Chuck, you still do that. To yeah. this day, you still do that because it's, it's in your blood. You can't yeah. help it. I know.
2: Yeah. So you know what? So listening to all that and growing up, here, you know, ROK had the biggest presence. Triple R wasn't bad either. No, right. I, I remember as a child, I'm going to tell you this story here. I was listening to like an MDA telethon, and it was at Bill Fisher store at Northtown. Oh, my. Okay. Oh my. And the Swinging Scotsman, he was known as the Swinging Scotsman. You know who that is? Doug McDuff. Doug McDuff, he's on the air. And he's, uh, anyway, I ended up buying, uh, I got a coupon for a pizza call it up and I called oh. up and I I won the bid.
1: So he was the guy that was on the air for Triple R at
2: the yes. time? Oh yes. Yes, he he worked there quite a bit. Yeah. But he,
1: that's that's who you won it from? Yes. Oh my yeah. goodness. That's hilarious.
2: And when, <laughs> you know, later on in life the old swingin' Scots when he came over to WROK, I thought, "Oh, oh, here goes this station. Here goes this station in a new era." Yeah because I kind of remember that. I'm thinking, okay, you're bringing old, old blood in, yep, old people in. He's a salesman and a DJ. But when they did that, I knew it was shifting mm-hmm. because we were a young top 40 station mm-hmm. with young people.
1: But, you know, Vern Nolte had vision. Somehow he knew where things were going to go, and he shifted ahead of time. He made the teams of engineering and on-air, whether it be AM or FM, and the sales team to get you in the direction that would make the station sustainable. There was something about him.
2: Uh, You know, his background was an engineer. Oh, yeah. And his claim to fame was he helped invented the Tersh Tones, the second stop tone, um, which later was bought by ITC, I think it was. Was it really? And that's where he made his money deal. Um, I think that's where we strived and did well there. And hiring the right people, too. Uh, He he got on some good hires. Would you
1: also agree with, once he got that person in, because, you know, people can only be so good and so revealing in an interview. Once he got that person in, he gave them leeway. He gave them a little bit of leash to go do the crazy things and the things that weren't normal. Because in radio, if it's not normal, it gets people's attention. And guess what? You get listeners. Unless you're just wackadoodle. These things were just
2: fun. It was explained to me at one time that uh, Mr. Nolte saw this as a stepping stone to bigger things. And he liked the up-and-comers. He liked to get the up-and-comers in because he knew they were only going to stay. Yeah. (laughs) That early 70s, you only stayed two years at the most, two and a half years. You're gone. Yeah. And a lot of the talent that came in, the real talented people, that was their thing. you know? Remember
1: when the radio station won International
2: Radio Station of the Year? 75, 76, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Or so for, for a media market. Yes, yeah, you know, for a media was, market. Yeah.
1: But do you remember the lineup? It was Mel Young, uh, Dan Campbell, Jack Randall, and Shotgun Mark Rivers, and Don Geronimo. An incredible lineup having nothing to do with the incredible lineup in the newsroom because you had Cliff Albert and Bob Pressman and Bill Phillips and all those people, Fred Speer. It was just a magical you know, mixture
2: of people. I, I need to see a better time frame for some of these people because I'm not too sure when you're talking 75-76 that it was uh, – Your buddy, uh, Shotgun.
1: No, he was 77. Mark Larson would have been the 75, 76 era.
2: Mark Larson was, yes. Yes. He was part of that. Dave Hamilton, Yep. he did like a one-hour air show. And that was cool because program directors at the time wanted to have the feel of the board, the music. They wanted to feel what they were doing programmatically and just get a feel of it. And they still should do that, in my opinion. Well... (laughs) They really should.
1: They really should. If in, you're the guy that. In
2: today's that's... world, that doesn't happen that way.
1: If you're directing the boat, mm-hmm. then get in there and row just a little, just yeah. a
3: tad. So
2: <laughs> there, was, there was another guy there at night, Rick Robinson. Oh, I remember him. Rick Robinson. And, you know, it was kind of weird because my uncle had bought a house. He came back from the Navy at that time, and he bought a house in Loves Park, and it was right next to an apartment and this Rick Robinson lived there in this apartment. He had talked to the guy, and the guy was from, like, Carolina or something. Okay. And ended up going back and, and uh, I guess, becoming a uh, state trooper. Okay. For... He got out of radio? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, you know, as a kid, you see that, and then they started doing a lot of appearances. I don't know if you ever did, went to any appearances.
1: Um, not so much. I was in high school back then. So I so didn't, was I. Yeah. I, so just,
3: I
2: just, I know, but I don't remember. You were at the giant store on North Main. Oh, I Why? was there.
1: I, I may have, but honestly, I just don't Jack remember. Jack London.
2: You ever heard of that name? Jack London, no. Okay. My father and I, we went up to the giant store for something, and there that. was a treasure truck.
1: Oh, yes. And they had it playing <laughs> outside.
2: So my dad went in, I said, I'm going to watch this. So I sat out there and watched, and I watched the guy talk on the radio, and I was like, oh. Yeah. That's for me, man. So yeah. then the guy gave me an album, and he signed it, Jack London. Oh, my. So I was like, oh, this is really This cool. is it, yeah. the treasure truck was a big Winnebago vehicle for those listening.
1: Yeah. We do have and... a picture of it here on the walls somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. I'm not really sure where it is. And, and we ended up getting some hit lists from the late 60s, early 70s from Mark Peabody the other day. Mint Condition. He had them in a file, had some stuff from WYFE and WLS. He goes, here, take them all. And one of them had the treasure truck. And
2: and that's great of him because usually those kind of guys, the stereo guys and stuff, they hated us because we didn't play the whole album. (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't play music. Uh, That's not what we're about. No, okay. no. Who was that guy that kept getting on the paper? And he was—he yeah, was so mad at all of us. We should have our license pulled because we don't track the album. Yeah, You know, dude. Well, that's but that's not then, what radio was about. But then
1: there was the invention of AOR, album-oriented rock, which WZOK had that format for a yeah, while. Yeah, but and you they know did what? do some of that stuff at night, yeah, but not but every not. day, all day. That was more of a YFE. Hey, yeah. dude, come on, play the whole album.
2: So back to the kids thing, you know. So I saw that, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. Somehow, and I don't exactly remember, because remember, this is a long time ago. Oh, of course. Somebody told me, oh, I think I went to the radio station to pick up something. Because I started calling and winning. So this is while you are working at WLUV? No, this is way younger. Way back, really? Way younger. Okay. 12, 13, okay.
1: 14. All right. So how did you get your foot in WROK?
2: Well, let me keep going on. All right, all right. Let me going on. The story is going to be a long one. This is going to be a short (laughs) session for today, but a lot of stories. Okay. My thing with local radio, I mean, WROK was the station. Mm -hmm, Of course. Who cared? Uh, WZOK was beautiful music. Yes. 24 hours a day. Automation. Beautiful music. So, somehow, I figured out that there was a window in the back where I could look in and see the (laughs) jock. No, I was 13 or 14.
1: So you're it, a radio stalker before it became fashionable.
2: Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely.
1: You figured it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Good for you. So That's hilarious.
2: My thing was I rode my bike fra- from over by Rockford Memorial oh, my. all the way to the radio station. And I would go to the back to the window where you'd look into the AM production room. Yes. And then into the studio. Did
1: you have to look through the transmitter room?
2: No. Oh, production. on the side. Yes. Way on the side. It was kind of... Yes. Kind of had a little rocky thing. And I would just yes. ride my bike there. And then I could go and look in the window. And when I saw all that equipment... Oh, yeah. All the and lights I, and all
1: the buttons. All the buttons. <laughs> I said, hey,
2: man, this is for me. Wow. You know? So then... Sometimes the guys would come out and talk to me, whoever they were, yeah, they would come out and talk to me, "Hey, kid." Yeah. Sometimes they'd say, "Hey, get out of here." Or yeah, something. Yeah, or they'd get pull, off my lawn. It was a drape. They, they could pull a drape shut, you yeah. know. If they brought in a client or something. yeah I'd like, So then I started going more towards nights, and then I could see, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh. Do you remember who was on the air? Oh, man, I don't always. I, mean, I remember once Mark Larson came into the AM studio, and he was bringing a client, and he goes, Look, you got an audience. And, yeah. And then he shut the drape. Thanks, yeah. Mark. Yeah. But I remember Mark. Mark went to my high school. <laughs> Mark went to West High. Yes, he was class of, of 73, and I was class of 79, and he was doing his, uh, you know, uh, well, how did he do it? He went, uh, you know, Fourteen forty WROK Mark Larson <laughs> and, 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 and and you know so that's kind of cool so every day you know I'd be listening a little bit and I'm like all right this is really cool this yeah. is you know the track lighting in the studio with spots God who nobody had spotlights no.
1: That no stand-up man. studio was fantastic. I You and I, I, know. It you was, and I it was had a chance ever. You and I had, to, had a chance to do the stand-up studio yeah. and the sit-down council studio. We were part of that transition in probably what eighty three something like that. If, if I'm, my mind serves yeah, me right, I, can, I don't but remember. But that's basically when they going from it. CHR and, and contemporary hit radio yeah. top forty to talk radio, and you had guests in, so you had yeah. four or five seats around. But, wow, that stand-up studio was so much fun.
2: So going on with the story. So so then I can remember that um, Dan Campbell was one of the guys every once in a while that would talk to me or, or something. And, and I'd call once in a while and say, hey, I'm the dude hanging. Oh, yeah, yeah. come back again, and we'll talk <laughs> or whatever. So we did some stuff, and one time they were at where's the biggest place they did remotes back then? Just Jeans. Oh, yeah. Just Jeans. Oh, yeah. And that was at Northtown. Yes. And, and, hey, Dan. And he saw me and he recognized me and he said, hey, you want to do me a favor? Yeah. You know, Treasure Truck is parked out back. This is when we drug a mic cable inside and he did it inside. It was the first part of before Mini Martys. And, and people who know talk about Mini Martys. Wow. You want to sit in the treasure truck and just sit there and make sure nobody comes in and takes anything or anything? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. He, he just
1: gave you the golden uh, eagle right oh, there.
2: Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I became a helper. And I sat in there, and I, I don't know if you you knew anything about the treasure truck. Treasure truck was really cool.
1: My my first recollection was the rock and roll denim machine. So I was I don't remember the treasure truck.
2: Oh, I remember the denim machine. I remember all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so the treasure truck actually had a big cabinet. And the cabinet had a triple deck, you know, cart machine and a little board and a couple pots on it. So when they went somewhere, they were actually playing the music and everything oh, from that
3: from that location. So
2: when you went and saw them in the treasure truck, it was a show. It was the whole show was being done. He was pulling oh, cards, putting oh, in commercials. Very good. And it was very cool. Yeah. Then they just started the, bringing the mic in, and the next thing you know, they went to a Mini Marty thing, yep. and you just did a break like a commercial.
1: Which, granted, on, on the plus side of that, that Mini Marty allowed you to go pretty much anywhere. When you had an assignment, whether you're a news department or, or an event of some sort... But on the other hand, they did away with the mobile show.
2: They did away from the, with the mobile show. Now, unless
1: they... Didn't they, when they brought back... What was that great big thing? Max? Big Mac. Big, big Max. Max. yeah. Didn't that was a full studio, too, wasn't it?
2: No, it never really was. No. no. Was it meant to be? I think when you had them built, they would have been. You okay. could make them that. Okay. But we never did that. Once we went into that, I thought... Engineering technology just got, uh, they just got lazy. You just got in the way. Yeah. And said, well, no, you just yeah. turn on the microphone.
1: Yeah. Why would we go to this much trouble when all yeah. you have to do is. Yeah. yeah.
2: So then a couple more times they had some stuff and I go and I, I, I kind of became like a little helper at 14 years old or whatever. That's the best. I because
1: know. you're helping them, they're helping you. Yeah. So that's how
2: I got to know who these people were, how it operated, the good guys, the bad guys, (laughs) the guys nobody liked, you know.
1: And that is probably about a four-minute evaluation. You can tell that pretty quick, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so who was the first person that hired you?
2: Well, that's a great story, too. Back when we were 16, Mm -hmm. I run over to the station and say, hey, I want to work here, you know. Dave Hamilton had left, and a guy came in in his place by the name of Bob Good. Bob Good, I remember him. Bob Good. Yeah. Bob Good, not really a great jock, but a operations director. He could herd the cats. You know, he listened to one of my little air checks, you know, and went, mm, <laughs> You got talent, kid.
1: And you actually could put
2: together an air check at the age
1: of 16. Yes. Yes. Yeah, good for you. Know. you.
2: So he says, all right, we're going to get you on board here. So why don't you keep coming in? So I came in, hooked up with Nick Scott for a little bit. Nick was great. Nick showed me the automation. Yeah. I think eventually, you know, my thing was going to be Casey Kasem.
1: Oh, running a program. Yes. Oh, well, that's not too bad. That's a way to start.
2: That's exactly what I want. You know, hey, get me in here. Run Casey and
1: I... So let me tell you a side note to what you're saying with Casey Kasem's American Top 40. We have the baseboard of this entire space lined with albums, and I have three programs sitting out there of American Top 40 from 1977 and 1978. Ever so often, we put an album of Casey Kasem on the turntable. Yes, we do. Oh, nice. And, and they, are, they are three different programs over enough time that they had actually changed... Their logo. They didn't modify it much, but they changed it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And hearing Casey Kasem playing that stuff from when I was a junior and a, and a senior in high school, and they're pristine. These, these albums were only played once. It's unbelievable.
2: So anyway, um, that's your side note to American okay, Top 40. Just to let you know, these are newer ones for me. Yes. But <laughs> I had older ones. And you know when it was time to clear out some of the stuff, I, I took them too.
1: Yeah, well, because they're going to throw them away. Yes, exactly. They're like, hey, take them.
2: I got to tell you this. I never took anything from the radio station that I wasn't allowed to. Right. This was their garbage. Because I know that I didn't want to lose my job over some stupid piece of vinyl. (laughs) That many people did stupid stuff. So did you get to run
1: Casey Kasem?
2: Let me back up because some memories are coming into play here. They are.
1: I know. That's the whole point of this.
2: When I was kind of just helping around the station before I actually started working there, there was a guy that you might know, a little older than us, went to Auburn. His name was John Winquist. Oh,
1: yes. Why can't I remember what part he played, though? John
2: Winquist. Yeah.
1: He was not an engineer, was he? No, but he was a technical guy.
2: Oh. Anyway, John was a kid that lived off of South Maine. And anyway, he was running some Casey Kasem's and some religious programs mm-hmm. in the morning and stuff. Yeah. Somehow, we got to be friends. So he got me in there a lot more to help out and do things and stuff. God loved this kid, but he was a little goofy. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> in well, our own precious little way. <laughs> um, John just had a lot of issues, you know, and he got me in through the door a little bit. But soon, he wasn't there anymore. Ah, And the reason was, there was another cat named Stuart that worked there. And I don't want to say his last name, because I don't remember it. Okay. <laughs> so it's not but that you don't want to, it's just you can't. He <laughs> let Stuart in the back door. Oh. And Stuart yeah. took off with some equipment.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that's a surefire way.
2: But the, and the only reason I'm mentioning this is because it comes back around me. It circles around to another job we're going to talk about. Oh. Okay. Okay. So remember this part about Stewart? I'll, I'll go to it right. So anyway, this Stewart guy was fired. John Winquist was fired. They were building a new roller rink in town. And somebody got Stewart's name to be the big DJ. It wasn't and, Skateland, was it? No. It was The Tree. Oh, my. Owned by the Ingle the Hollywood, oh, Hollywood Diners. Right. So they, they got a hold of it. The Stewart guy was their thing. So Stewart actually designed and bought the equipment for the roller rink. And then Stewart wasn't there. And when I was 16 years old, too, I went to the roller rink. Well, here's the deal. I walk in the roller rink, and there's, you know, a 10-channel board, an ITC <laughs> triple deck with carts. And it looked all familiar, didn't it? And, and, and two turntables. <laughs> oh, wow. Who puts that kind of DJ stuff at a roller rink? Well, and nobody just stumbles on to that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, <laughs> no. that right there oh, big was flag. probably $20,000, oh. at least, in that day, worth of equipment. Oh, my. And they did that. And then this kid's not working there no more. So guess who's working there? Me. So Because <laughs> you're the guy that knows and, how to run it. And then we had a separate cart machine that would record. So back probably in the late 80s, 90s, okay. you know, I'm doing mobile DJ gigs, doing appearances and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a new owner of this thing and... Adolf Wacker, and I and now you always remember that name. Who are you gonna go see? I'm gonna see Adolf Wacker. Oh my I'm god! Like, All you right. can't make this up. No, and he's <laughs> an old dude, and he skates that you know, you know, the figure skating shit, you know. And I was like, okay, Adolf. And he owned this one, and his daughter owned Skate Land at the time. And he's you know had that a German accent, and you know, I got the old equipment in the back room. I don't know what it is. I go back, and there's the board. I'm not sure if I got the triple deck or not. So he just wanted to get rid of it? Well, he had it there, and he goes, I don't know what this stuff is. And he didn't, because (laughs) nobody (laughs) knows what a cart machine is or anything, and a roller rink. No. You know, he had put regular DJ stuff in. Yeah. So I made a deal with him. I worked like three or four nights for that old equipment. I said, you know, a lot of this don't work, but, you know, somebody wants it for parts. That's right. So I ended up taking the board finally. I get it out of my house. I took it to Joe Salvi. Did you really? Hey, Charlie, how much you want for it, or, you know? I said Joe I'm giving it to you.
1: <laughs> it always cracked me up that he called you Charlie. Yeah. I don't know. If so
2: I, can I gave it. it to him and that was the board or the board's brother. The same board that was in the station when oh, he died. My 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 yeah, well, I'm not sure if it was the same board or it was the same type of board, same color, same everything. Yeah. I don't know if it was the same board or parts from that board. Holy cow. Yeah, that that's a, you know interesting, interesting story on that one. Yeah, decades later. Yeah. Wow. So wow. when John Winquist got fired for letting him go in or whatever, mm-hmm. he went over to LUV. And that's how I got into WLUV. Is John Winquist was over there working. Oh. I drove out because I was driving now. Mm-hmm. I was driving.
1: Right in the middle of that big cornfield. Yeah,
2: and I went there to see him one day, and I'm sitting there watching him do LUV, and Joe Salvi walks in, and as soon as he sees another Italian kid, he's like, hey, kid, you want a job? Yeah. Boom, I'm in. Yeah. Joe had the
1: idea of either I need another warm body, depending on the situation.
2: Always needed that.
1: Or he saw something in you that had a little bit of a energy, and he probably saw the little mark in your neck when the dart stuck in you, and he knew that you had some desire. Oh, yeah, and he, yeah. he,
2: he could see that other people enjoyed, yes, loved radio, yes. or kids that loved radio, but he could also see that he was only paying two ten an hour, and you weren't too sure if the check was going to cash, yeah, you know, at yeah. the end of the deal. Oh, boy,
1: he launched a lot of people, and oh, WROK yeah. did too. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we mentioned Mark Larson from 1975. I can specifically remember leaving my last class at Auburn high school in 1975, getting in my yellow Pontiac firebird and turning on the radio and listening to Mark Larson at three in the afternoon. Now that's like 1976, 77, something like that. Fast forward to 2019 I find out that I can get on an iHeartRadio app and I can listen to Mark Larson on KFMB in San Diego from 10 to noon anytime I want to Monday through Friday. This is the same guy. Come on. There's not too many people that have the opportunity to do that.
2: No, because this was a business that ate you up. Yes. And 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 spit you out. (laughs) Okay. This is a business that uh, it's fun for a while, but not for very long. That That was another one. You grew out of your demographics that was listening. You had to reinvent yourself, yeah. and that's a hard thing to do
1: because your your worth scale went down. Yeah, you're not as energetic anymore. They
2: well, need you, somebody fresh. You know, you know whatever the if reason. You're not of- in your demographics, you don't really don't speak to them. That's that's well, one thing was good about this radio station is they were putting people in the demographic in there because there's a language you speak that's unspoken. And people don't understand that as much as when you have kids and they don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. Or you don't understand what they're saying. It's, a, it's the same you know? formula. Or I take a look and go, man, she's a good-looking girl. What's she doing with that? That boy don't know nothing. Guess <laughs> what? The hormones and everything. So he's speaking a language that uh, the old man can't speak. You That's know? right.
1: That's right. Well, and and in a lot of radio stations, and WROK had those times too, uh, not as frequent as I think other radio stations is when a program director moved on to another radio station and a new program director came in, it didn't matter how good Chuck or Liz or anybody else was or how great your ratings were. Maybe they had their people, and they wanted
2: to bring their people from Chattanooga Uh, or wherever, and that was it. You were out. I I had a... Mental note about that. And when we get down the line, you know, people are going to say, Well, Chuck, you had the highest ratings ever on ZOK. You were afternoon drive. Why did you leave? I had a lot of people say, What are you doing, man? What are you doing? (laughs) And I go back to that. I had so many years, you know, about eight years at least at the radio station or almost 10 years in this radio business and realized that it's not one of these jobs that when you go in and you do your job, whether you, you, know, you can do it as, as, as best as you can and, 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 and have great results. But when a new boss comes in, they make it terrible on you. Yeah. If they don't want you, they don't like you, they don't believe in you, yeah. they don't think you're the right fit. Well, wait a minute. I, was, uh, I just had the best ratings ever. Yeah. Uh, you're making this hard on me. <laughs> and did I want to have that kind of job for the rest of my life? And, and I saw that early on, and I said no.
1: So did you do a Johnny Carson? You left out on top? Left out on top. Did you really? I, I sure did. I didn't know your numbers were peaking when you went to the fire department.
2: Oh, yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Wow. Because I was the, I had the largest <clears throat> share deal, at 24 or something. It wasn't really me. It was a radio station. Come on. But I mean, are... yeah, I had good name recognition, that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. and research. And I was a local guy, and I played the game because I was much better looking than Liz. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I played the game. I hosted the telethon, (laughs) was on TV when I could. Yeah. I went to promotions. Mm -hmm. I drove the Corvette. You know, I I went and did the talk to the school class things. Whatever I could do. And I got out to the bars and stuff on the weekends. That was the number one key to winning and high ratings, was visibility then. On that demographic. Exactly.
1: But you know, there's one thing I wanted to ask you too. When you were on the WROK side, and I really believe that you'll probably end up having another session sitting down here with Liz Wilder and talking about your WZOK side. Oh, God, that's
2: going to be a long time because that that was a longer time than the WROK time. But
1: I I remember the dynamic duo, which was Chuck Doyle and Chuck Diamond, when Maggie's Pub was in existence. If I'm not mistaken, you were running the board, and Chuck Diamond was out at Maggie's Pub for some kind of a listener party. You guys would just tear it up.
2: Yes. And, that's when and that w- was all live. You yes. Know, that was done live. Yeah. We'll get back to that deal here. <laughs> so back to the, where I was with Bob Good. Okay, he had me inside. I was doing stuff. I was learning this, learning stuff. And the guy who ran Casey was, I, I could never figure this out. His name was George. You know, when you put somebody on Casey or something like that, in a pinch, you need those people to step up and be able to do an air show. Hey, so-and-so called in sick. I got nobody. Oh, yeah. George could do it. But he was squeaky, George, you know. Oh, no. (laughs) um, But then, if it wasn't George doing it, it was another kid by the name of Steve Noel. Oh, I remember Steve Noel. Who sounded great. He could do an air shift and sound great. Mm -hmm. Steve could sound great. But Steve's dad worked there. We had lunch with Gary not too awful long ago. So Steve's dad is Gary. Oh, my. So, and Steve lives... (laughs) And Gary and Steve live right around the corner from the radio station. Okay. So they got a kid. I mean, he might have been a year older than us or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, they got a, they got a kid, you know? Yeah. Because he was got the a, go-to guy. Yeah, they, they, were, need they got one. a kid. So yeah. this Bob Good calls me in, and he says, hey, you know, right now, I'm looking. I really don't have room for you, and I don't want to really lose you, but... I got a call from a guy, Harv Blaine, at not... WFRL.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say Freeport. You yeah. just took it out of my mouth. So,
2: I get this, Harv Blaine's looking for somebody. I think it'd be a good move because you could get right on the air there. Oh, my. So, I, I gave Harv Blaine a call, and I went up and saw Harv Blaine. Were you at the top of the State Bank
1: Center? Yes. Now see, when I was at WFRL, I worked for Neil Nussbaum. Does that name ring a bell to you? He was after Harv. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. Wow, I didn't know we crossed paths like that.
2: Yeah. I went and sat in with a show with them, and I decided at the end of the show, this wasn't for me. Why, because Because of the the format? I think one of it is because of the drive.
1: Well, yeah, it was like a 22-mile drive. Right.
2: Yeah. And we're 16 years old. Yeah, I know. And our cars at the time were, winters were terrible. Oh, yeah. A little bit earlier than that, when I was at WLUV, uh, I had a cousin that worked WLUV, and he had worked at another station in Freeport, ACI. Yeah, WACI. That's even further out on 20. So we had talked once, and he was like, God, I can't believe you're doing this thing. This is cool. You sound so much better than I ever did. He goes, talk to Randall. At WACI? Yeah. So I went out there. I did a thing for them. And he's like, dude, you're in. You're in. You can work here part-time. So then the owner came in, and he met me in the office. He was a farmer. The owner was a farmer. Yeah, the radio station was in a trailer. It was in a trailer. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yes. – and, uh, you know, I met with him, and he gave me the lowdown and $2.50 an hour. And if it snows here, you can go to the neighbors and da-da-da-da-da.
1: Like, okay. But don't sleep with the daughter, you know. And, <laughs> yeah,
2: and I, I came up with the fact that I didn't want to drive out there either. No, because WACI was even further. Further out. So, you know, that's when I stopped. And uh, we were still in high school. Okay. I went and it was doing the roller rink. And when I was in high school, I had electronics class at Votech. And you got the other jar of poison. <laughs> for the junior year, or for my junior year, and then I took electronics two out there. When I got out there, the teacher said, oh, I don't really have a class for that. I don't know how they let you sign up. I said, well, I did. He said, how would you like to work and just make it? Well, I'll give you credit for working. Sure. So I went to WLUV and said, I need to do like an hour a day <laughs> For free, all right, Charlie, come on in here. Uh, so I would go do an hour at the radio station and work on equipment. No, I wouldn't work on equipment at WLUV. I'd just go on the air. Oh, oh! But I was working with oh. electronics, you gotcha. know, and I'd take so meter then... readings. Like we never, who knew how to take meter readings? Know. You know, well, that's
1: that's when you had a radio license and you actually sort right. of. and
2: that's something we need to talk about too. Is how many people actually had a radio license? I still have mine, believe yeah. it or not. I never I got the Element 9 endorsement. I, <laughs> I never passed that. I, I
1: remember having to go to Chicago and taking the 230
2: test. 230 South Dearborn Avenue. Yes. And I, I passed Element... I First time, I didn't pass it all. Second time, I passed Element 1 and 2. And then they made you do Element 9 endorsement. I never did. I got a provisional license. I might still have that somewhere. Okay. And then by the time we got to 78, 79, they just gave you one. You mailed in a thing. Remember, you had a card, and we had a card yeah, in the of back course. of the radio station, yeah. and we had these licenses. The
1: government just got tired of dealing with us. Yeah, <laughs> said, here, it's in we'll here. Like, just okay, these
2: you. guys have no skills. <laughs> you know, we're getting a bunch of educated people on the radio, and it sounds terrible. Yeah,
1: they can yammer, but they can't yeah. take a
2: meter reading.
1: Hey, so, let me let me back up to one little piece that ties our time at WLUV with what you just said at WFRL and WACI. Do you know who took a job after WLUV at WACI that you and I know in common? Steve Kraft. Mm -hmm. And Steve Kraft told me this story. I don't know why these stories stick with me, but he's out in this trailer at WACI. You know, the, the WFRL was at the top of the bank center. You know, that's drastically different. So I'm a WFRL, and he's a WACI, and we're comparing notes, and he tells me this story that Michael Johnson, do you remember the song Bluer Than Blue?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He just popped in the radio station. He, as the artist, not the record company, not the record rep, he, the artist, was going around to radio stations in the Midwest promoting his new record. So Steve says, well, do you want to sit down for a while and talk? And he did. Uh, come on, you can't make that up. No. So somebody just pops in on you like no, that? No, he broke format.
2: He did. <laughs> he did. He did. He broke format. He's in trouble. Did you run that by the PD? Oh,
1: gosh! that was a nice part about uh, a lot of WROK stuff is they gave you some long leash that if you wanted to do something, especially when we went to talk radio, if you wanted to do something, whether it be interview or promotion or whatever, they gave you a long leash. And Mr. Nolte would say, because I would bounce it off him uh, before I would end up talking to the program director and the salespeople. I said, what do you think of this? And he go, well, it uh, sounds, sounds good to me. He says, if you can make it with the other people. So I went into the sales department. I said, hey, can we get a sponsor for this? Yeah, I think I can get it. Oh, okay, fine. All right, so just hang on there. And then I'd go over to the program director, whether it be Charlie Quinn or Kipper McGee. And I said, hey, here's an idea. And once I got the nods, the penciling in nods from those three departments, then we put it together. And that's where the magic of WROK was because they let you have some leeway. And that was what was so much fun.
2: Well, oh, that's good. You yeah. did a lot of work there. Yeah, I was, didn't get anywhere near that front office and the other <laughs> one. Only on review day. Oh, but those were always sort of pleasant. They were, it, it, Mr. Nolte handled it real nice. Yes, yes. But, Sometimes you know.
1: the program directors were a little bit rigid on you, but yeah. you know, they're, David.
2: They're, we had good ones and we had bad ones, and we'll talk about all that. We
1: did. We did. Did you have a favorite promotion? Did you have a favorite event on WROK?
2: I mean, the walk-a-thon for cerebral palsy was always a big one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Remember that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, we're talking thousands. Walk 20 thousands miles for those who can't even walk 20 feet. That's exactly
1: it. And we have out here on the table, we have some of those original mm-hmm. flyers and, and uh, donation yeah. uh, forms with, um, what was it, Bob Walker on WZOK and Mark Rivers on WROK. Really? Yeah, take okay. a look at them. There's a lot of stuff to sort in I've
2: I've hosted it, and I have flyers at home. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Back oh. When, when it was ZOK, not yeah. during the ROK days.
1: Yeah. What was your main thing at, like, like if, you, if you went to, you know, a Chili Shootout or a Rock River Raft Race or something like that, what was your main memory of, of what your job was going out to these events?
2: It, it, it all depends on with who. Oh, that's true. And where I was on the pecking board at the time. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to the day. So I was 16, 17, 17 years old, kind of, you know, Bob Good, I guess, had left the station. Mm -hmm. Bob Good came in. He brought in Chuck Diamond, John Arthur, John Whalen, Kim Carson. Did he really? Yeah, he brought in all these people. Oh, my. I'm sure I got to meet some of them through the way. Because that's when guys like Nick Scott was leaving and some of the other guys were all leaving. Yeah. And so these people were all coming in. And so I got to meet them a little bit. I hooked up with Chuck Diamond and um, told him who I was and da-da-da-da-da. And he says, come on, come on in, man. Come on in. And So I didn't have a current air check at the time. So he goes, go over here in the AM studio. It was at nighttime, 6 o'clock or whatever, because that's when he started. Yeah. He had a, a more cigarette in his hand. He says, let me give you a couple of cards, and here's a reel. So I went in there, and I made a tape, and I gave it to him. And he said, well, you know what? When I get time, I'm going to listen to it, and blah, 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 blah. That's
1: crazy that he let you do it on property.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's so that's really good of him. I said, all right. I didn't know where it was going to go, and I left him my phone number because, you know, I lived at home with my parents. I'm still... Sure. I'm almost 18 or real close to 18. Okay. I couldn't get home. As soon as I got home, my dad said, Chuck Diamond called, said, you got a job. (laughs) Good for you. Call him back right now, he said. Okay. Good for you. So (laughs) the next thing I know, I call him back. You got a job. What did they hire you for? What slot? So they hired me, I think at first. For part-time. Okay. And, and and that's a little hard to remember because I, I know I work part-time. And then there was a guy after Chuck. His name was Kelly. Chris. There's a Chris Kelly on the, that came later on the FM. Yes, I know Chris. And this was a Chris Kelly. I didn't know too much about this guy. He seemed like he wasn't really 100% into this job, you know. Oh. Next thing I knew, Chuck Diamond gave me a full-time job doing... Nine to midnight.
1: So you were following Chuck? Yes. Oh, man. How yeah, sweet. And, and You know what?
2: I think the first thing uh, when I was hired, I was doing the Maggie's Pub thing. Yeah. That was every Sunday night.
1: And you weren't old enough to be there.
2: Oh, no. I'll tell you a story about that, too. <laughs> I did the quick math on that one. Oh, you're right there. But I was hired <laughs> to do the studio. Yes. So then, um, so my job was I came in and we had records Mm -hmm. we did long disco stuff we did and it was i can't remember the timing but it was like three hours the party was three
1: hours yes holy moly
2: and i had to do certain commercials at certain times so let me ask you
1: you're playing disco stuff at the radio station and they're playing it over the speakers at maggie's pub that is correct
2: oh my and i'm playing it off turntable oh my wow wow Okay. And that's how the party at Maggie's was. Yeah. Because we had a lot of long intros, and I would talk back to the guy at Maggie's, and he'd just pick up the microphone, and it would go right on the air, and the music was being played there. Sometimes wow. Chuck, when he was doing it, he would tell me, hey, man, play this song, play this song, because he was feeling the crowd. Yeah, you know, of course. Like you do at a dance. He yeah. was feeling, hey, I want this song and this song. And, okay. So we were the dynamic duel in power to the 10 o'clock hour, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you had to go back in that, what was the prize vault at the AM studio with the great big, thick door to get your albums.
2: Right. That is correct. And those albums, and of course, the turntables were underneath the board. Yeah. They were a little awkward to get to. So they were a little hard to do. Yeah. I was doing kc too. I think that part-time part lasted for maybe close to a year. Okay. And then I went full-time. Okay.
1: Uh, the, the 9 to midnight thing, too? Yes. Okay. That, that, that,
2: when that's when the 9 to midnight thing kicked in.
1: Okay. So then did you go straight from being nights at WROK to being afternoons on WZOK? <clears throat> Was it a straight
2: transition there? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Okay.
1: Oh, no. I didn't mean to throw you <laughs> oh, a softball oh, on that, but apparently I did.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. That's a story and a half. <laughs> So, we were going along, and I was doing 9 to Midnight. Okay. I think it was $850 a month or something like that.
1: I can't believe you remember that stuff. Yeah, I was poor. Uh, yeah, but I just don't remember that poor. stuff. I remember my first hourly rate at WLUV, yeah. but I don't remember anything after that.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and, and I was all good with it. You know, I'm all, I'm all right. You know, I'm living at home. I'm 18, 19 years old, and... It was wonderful, you know, and it was still a great sounding radio station.
1: Yeah. And I think we knew back then that one, you had to pay your dues if you wanted to climb the ladder. That's just what you did. Second of all, if you got X amount of dollars an hour and you had X amount of hours per week, that was not just the math that was involved in the experience because you get to meet people and go out and do things. And I mean, they gave us free food all the time when you were doing remotes. So you get all these really cool free benefits on the flip side that, you know, you didn't have to pay for. It was
2: wonderful. Yeah, because it, it they, was, was,
1: they give it to you, so you talk about it on the radio.
2: It was great time, great music, good compression on the AM, oh. microphone sounded great. Yeah, I worked with this guy, Chuck Diamond, who loved radio, loved exciting radio. Uh, loved to laugh. You know, he'd chew me out once in a while for this or that. I remember <laughs> Bob Good had left, and a guy named Reed Reeker came in. I remember that name. Reed Reeker. He was the operations director. And I think he was from the South, and I still see him on Facebook. He's still, as a matter of fact, he IM'd me not too long ago about something. But Is he still on radio? I don't think so. I think he's... Okay. Most of these cats are all retired, you okay. know. But I think he had a good radio career. Mm-hmm. Very nice guy. Had a little bit of that southern talk to him, so you know. But Chuck would, you know, report to him. I'd report to Chuck, and once in a while, those two would corner me for this <laughs> or this. Okay, <laughs> that's normal. That's what they should do. Did you have air check sessions with
1: operations and your program director, or just with your program director? Do you remember? Did they double up on you? Sometimes they did. They did. Okay. All
2: right. Um, I kind of dreaded air check sessions at the time.
1: (laughs) Who didn't? And
2: (laughs) a lot of guys would be like, hey, if I hear something, I'm going to write it down. And then, hey, we'll address it or something. But I don't need to check you every week. No. You know?
1: No. You wanted to get the general feel for where the air announcer was going.
2: Yeah. Yeah. General idea. Not
1: that you said shit on the air or something like that. Yeah. That wasn't the point.
2: You know, and I had them throughout the years, and most of them were good air check sessions, you know. Yeah. If they found you being too repetitive. Yeah. If they found you was, being... Uh, it was always stuff like that. Yeah, and, or you uh, weren't being
1: local enough or, yeah. you know, that type of thing. They would say, okay, yeah. go ahead and it, shift you're what you're kind of
2: getting out of where, what, how we want you to sound. Well, or you're relying back, on crutches. You know, yeah. Yeah. That, Get back the, into the middle of the road.
1: Yeah. Did you, you know? have... Uh, I guess evaluation letters from Lund Consultants. Did you ever have that?
2: I remember John Lund, Mm -hmm. and I like John Lund. Nice guy. And I probably did. I don't remember if he did the FM2.
1: But I still have my letters from John Lund. Oh, do you? I do. He sent them to, I want to say Kipper McGee, you know, obviously would share it with us saying, hey, here's what this person on the outside thought about you. Mm -hmm. And some of it was good and some of it was bad, but it was honest.
2: And I got a great John Lund story to tell you. Okay, you know John Lund would come in, and he was a he was a nice guy. I did like it. some of them consultants. You know, consultant is nothing but a guy with a briefcase that comes from fifty miles away. That's okay, right. that's right. That's what a consultant that's is. That's right. What What are they? Hey, come on. Yeah, you know, he was the epitome uh, of a suit. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and you got a briefcase. You come from fifty miles away. You're that a makes consultant. you an expert.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's
2: <laughs> so true. Uh, we always went out to eat, whether it be Giovanni's or Jungle Jim's. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was one great thing about the radio station is Mr. Nolte had lots of good trades. He and some of the other guys weren't afraid to trade. No. Or, or, or weren't afraid to share some of it. Yeah.
1: He had boatloads of business partners.
2: Yeah. Because later, I'll tell you, I had a few. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, not as much as some of the other guys. No, I you know, get they it. They had cars. Oh, and gas. Oh, you mean like Fred? An octopus.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, octopus car wash. Yeah. Oh, like more. Oh, okay. Like more people. Oh, okay. okay. I mean, I got movie tickets. That's, that's sort of the yeah. well, hierarchy. Well, I'm talking
2: about uh, John Carlson's menswear suits. Oh, hello. And a okay. Few, okay, so it was big. <laughs> All right, it was bigger than you thought. So we're going out to dinner, and John Lund told me a little story. And I might have told you this story, so bear with me. Was it just you two? No, it was a rest, but we were waiting for others. Ah, gotcha. Or something. You know, and maybe I was the guy to drive John Lund over there. I don't remember. Okay.
1: Either Uh, way, you had
2: his ear. Yeah, we're talking, and he goes, You know, I had one of the radio stations I was consulting. There was a guy in the ear. His information on the air, the stuff he talked about, was so great. He Hmm. said, I never heard a guy had better stuff, ever. He's telling you this. Yeah. But he can't remember the guy's name? No, he knows who he is. Oh, okay. He said, I was about to hire this guy and have him write out the artist info and all this stuff because it was so good.
1: So as like a producer for other air talent?
2: No, he wanted to, to like make... Artist information sheet, bio sheets, and then be able to send them out to his radio stations. Gotcha. Okay. Because you know, we really, we yeah. didn't have the internet then. No, we the information. Do we know, what do we know about this group? Yes. You know Where were they born? In Joel Whitburn's book. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's dated. You know. Very I want to know about this group coming out right now. Mm-hmm. This guy had the best stuff, and he's like, "Where did he get this stuff? You know?" And he, he just must have did research and and stuff. So he says one day he was at the station and he was sitting because John's a quiet guy. He was a quiet guy. He just sat oh, there like a mouse and, t- and observed. He says, so I am sitting there and I'm waiting in the lobby. This guy comes out. He says, he didn't see me. I'm just waiting in the lobby. And he comes to the, the secretary. Is it here yet? Is it here yet? She goes, yeah, it just came. And so he goes up and he finds out what it is. You know what it was? No. It was next week's Casey Kasem the week coming up. So what this guy would do oh. is he would listen to oh. Casey, and then he'd write this stuff down, <laughs> and that would be his artist information and his artist bio stuff because you could use that five years from now when that group comes out. Hey, where they were born and so-and-so, and uh, yeah. his dad was a farmer, and his mom played fiddle. Yeah, still applies. So, man, you know what I did? I started getting all the old Casey's and going down and writing stuff down and writing it down in a book so that I had good artist bio. Because
1: we didn't have internet. No, you didn't have access. So where would you go? And you you also know that that person that's probably listening to you 9 to midnight may not have listened to Casey Kasem on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock.
2: Oh, yeah. And, so and you can repeat. You can, you repeat. can repeat that stuff. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. Former police officer, now a hit rock and roll singer. Yeah. Yeah, so this wow. is what that guy was doing. So, man, you bet. That was, I'm like, wow. okay, John, thank you.
1: You know, with all the stuff that we have here that I, I have archived over the years, I ended up having a cassette that was unlabeled, didn't have any year, no markings. It didn't even look like there was a label that was once on it that fell off. So I get my stuff together, and I'm going to digitize all this stuff. This is maybe two years ago that I was doing the cassettes. And I pop this cassette in, and all of a sudden you get this guy clearing his throat. <clears> throat> okay, we're going to uh, <clears throat> do these liners for WROK, blah, blah, blah. And you know who it was? Casey Kasem. So he rattles off all these custom liners. Join me Sunday night at 6 on WROK. Join me
2: on WROK. Great (laughs) radio stations heard across the country from coast to coast. Keep your feet on the ground and reach
3: for the stars. This is Casey Kasem getting set to count down the nation's biggest hits on American Top 40. The countdown will begin this Sunday evening at 6, right here on 1440 WROK. American Top 40. And
1: I flipped that cassette over. Again, no markings. Mm
3: -hmm. All of a sudden, here's this guy. Oh, Oh, come on, come on.
1: And it's Wolfman Jack doing custom WROK liners promoting his show, which came on after AT40. Yeah. They all did it in one take. It was just a free flowing reel that just kept going. Yeah. And when somebody would walk down the hall past the studio, either Casey or Wolfman would go, "Hey, Bob's here," blah blah blah, and they would talk to, and then go right back to what they were doing.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: And That's I, was. You I had it really cut
2: or, edit no, or anything. And I had a copy of that,
1: but the idea that it was not labeled, oh, I could kick myself because it could have easily been thrown away. But thank goodness it wasn't.
3: Hi there, everybody. Hi, everybody, W.R.O.K. Hey, <laughs> Oh, my, here we go. We're gonna do this, uh, thing you sent in here. It says, uh, please feel free to ad-lib for, uh, these little bits. There's 12 of them here. We're gonna lay them down to you right now. Hey, hey, this is the Wolfman coming at you right after Casey Kasem tonight at 9 o'clock on W.R.O.K. It's Wolfman Jack on Rockford's number one radio station, W-R-O-K. Pardon me? (laughs) That was big time. Bob Wilson said bullshit.
2: Going on with the story, after Reed Reeker left, uh, Charlie Quinn came in. Yep. Bosley. We called him Bosley (laughs) because he looked just like Bosley from Charlie's Angels. He
1: did. (laughs) He did, with the darkening glasses and everything.
2: Yeah. And you know what? God bless you. If you're listening, Charlie, I loved you to death.
1: Oh, Charlie hired me. I love Charlie. Love you to death. He was fun.
2: And you know what? I loved all the guys, you know, on the ROK side, you know, Bobby B. Soder, love that guy. Worked the overnights, love that guy.
1: Bobby relieved me several times when I was doing Mm part-time. I would do three shifts on the weekend and then I would drive back to Northern Illinois University in the nasty winter and whatever. You know I. I'd leave at midnight, and I'd have an 8 o'clock class on Monday morning. I mean, that's just stupid. But here comes Bobby. He would walk in. Bobby B. Soder did uh, nights on WROK for years and years and years. And he would never really say much. He would light up his cigarette, and he would just sort of sit there and just sort of like wait for the young kid to get out of his way, that type of thing. So one time he walked in, and he goes, You know, if I didn't have any teeth, I would not have a problem eating noodles for the rest of my life. And I looked at him, and I go, okay, because I didn't know what to do with that. He would constantly throw things at me like that. You know, Chuck,
2: if the houses were all built out of stone, you wouldn't need a fire department. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bobby, you're right.
1: I don't have proof of this, but I believe I'm from Mars. Okay, Bobby, all righty. I didn't know where he was wanting me to go with any of that stuff he threw at me, but boy, was he good. And he would pop that mic all the way up, and he yeah. would be three feet back from that mic. Do you remember that?
2: Yeah. Fourteen
1: forty WROK. Oh, it was just hilarious. And you know what?
2: He was a nice person. Oh yeah. I think I was on the FM at the time. There was a uh, an operations director who was not a good person. He let Bobby go, and I think he let us let Bobby go because he could. Was it a power thing? It was a power thing, and it was to show everybody else, look who I am. to
1: And to show s- that n- nobody's indispensable. Yes.
2: Oh, my. Yes. Oh, my. I think that's what that was all about. And, and Bobby
1: Bobby did overnights. He didn't bother anybody. He never bothered no. anybody. He didn't get in on the politics and all that crap. But Oh, that's a shame.
2: It, it was a shame. So back to where we were. So Charlie Quinn came in. We had a good number of years. And, I, you know... A lot of this stuff meshes back and forth Or who was, was, I, was, I was on the AM or I went to the FM. But I think it was right about 82, okay. 1982. Okay. So I'd been there three years. Mm-hmm. I went and bought a new car. <laughs> Brand new car, Mazda 626. You know, I got a new car. Oh, you a know. sexy one too. Well, it was all right. Yeah. I think it was $8,000 new. I think my payment was 264 a month. Did you feel comfortable in doing it? Like you had made it? Uh, yeah. Well, I had a good job, and yeah, and, 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 you know, yeah. I'm working with Chuck Diamond. We're doing good. Yeah, good. Chuck's a very positive guy. Great guy. Loved working for him. You know, we're doing really good. You know, mm-hmm. we got good ratings. Mm-hmm. Okay ratings. Good ratings. Which were they, Chuck? Okay or good? Uh, Well, (laughs) they were always going to be good. I mean, they were selling it, and whatever. I just remember this. The day, I don't know, Charlie Quinn came by. Hey, by the way, he said, "Uh, could you come see me tomorrow? Okay, Charlie, you bet. Yeah. You bet. Doesn't sound good when you want me in there eight yeah, to five. Yeah. And for jokingly, I said, hey, I just bought a car now. Come on, man. Come on. I just bought a car. <laughs> and he's not inviting he you said, in for cupcakes. He, he no. said, don't, don't no. worry about it. We got you covered or something. Okay. And it was ax time. So I come to find out he called Chuck Diamond in, too. We knew, okay, I had no idea because i Mentioned that to Charlie the day before. Hey, you know, just kidding around. I just bought a car. So, oh, don't worry. I find out from the guys, and I believe it was Ed Jurch and somebody else. I find out from them later. Because okay. I, was I wasn't officially let go and out the door because I'm going to still stay on and work there. Okay. So it wasn't a big deal to them. It was to my pocketbook, but not them. So here's the deal. Charlie Quinn tells them he just bought a Mercedes. And so when he comes in that day, he tells Ed Jurich or somebody, I can't remember exactly who, I kind of, you know, worried about my car. So I'm going to bring it around back and park it. So these (laughs) jokesters. Oh, no. It was outside the AM production room window.
1: They pulled it way around back.
2: Oh, Charlie did, because he didn't want anything happening to his car. (laughs) Okay, from what the meeting was about to give him. Yeah, from what, uh, (laughs) you know. So, But it was far enough back that you could look through the AM studio and then through the other studio and through the window out and see the car at a distance. They went out there, and they lit a piece of paper on fire, and they put it to the window, and they held it just right. And then one guy, after it was over, said, Charlie, Charlie, come in the studio quick. And Charlie looked out there, and he's like, my car's on fire. Because he looks through the car. Yeah, well, and he's sees- looking through the two windows oh, no. out there, and he sees the flames going where his car is. Oh and God. I'm not too sure if Johnny Marks was in on that. Oh, we'll Edge. find out. You have out. to ask Johnny or That's something. hilarious. But I just wanted to add that to that night. That's hilarious. These jokesters played that on Charlie.
1: <laughs> One time I
2: went into Charlie's office,
1: and it was when uh, the the record companies would send you records and albums and promo-type things to promote this particular artist or this particular oh, song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they did didn't that. that? Yeah. They did do that. Yeah. Uh, So they sent this thing in. Somehow, I ended up getting it. I was never a music director, but, you know, I got a lot of stuff being the midday guy. So I ended up getting this box. So I opened this thing up. It was from, like, Columbia Records or something. And it was a squishy, squeezy toy that was uh, like a piece of granite. And it was promoting Bob Seger's Like a Rock. So I went into Charlie's office, making him believe that this thing was heavier than crap. And I'm holding it with both hands, and I go... Charlie, look what I just got in the mail. And I threw it at him. And of course, it's foamy. It's styrofoam, you know. And he scattered, thinking that I'm throwing a piece of granite at him. And I don't know, there's something about that image of Charlie just scattering that oh. I got him as far yeah. as uh, he was a great Practical jokes. Yeah.
2: I hope you can score him here for a few words.
1: Yeah, that'd be really nice. I think he's out in California somewhere. Yeah. But I think between Mike Lamb or Kipper, I think we'll be able to get Oh, yeah. Uh, I, a, I see a him on there. So. Yeah.
2: So Chuck was let go. Oh. I was let go with an explanation. Just part of the format change? Part of the format change, oh, okay. yeah. The, the explanation, uh, a couple things. Is One was Mr. Nolte was cutting the budget at the time because he needed to uh, look better, profitability, because he was interested in buying Cablevision. Whoa. Plus, they were going to do a format change, which means they were going to extend hours. That's when they were going to put Kelly Ryan on from 6 to midnight. Yeah. Well, Chuck was 6 to 9, and I was 9 to midnight. So, we don't have any room for you. But Mr. Nolte, thank God, has a heart and likes you a lot and would like to keep you on part-time on the AM. Okay. We're going to be going for a more adult sound. <laughs> yeah. You know, basically, you know, we're going to play Boss Gags 24-7 now. <laughs> oh, great. Maybe James Taylor. You know, yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. Nope. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, I said, I, t- I said, I'll tell you what. I will do, I will stay on, but I would like to move over to the FM. And you got a new guy coming in.
1: Who was who?
2: Dallas Cole. Oh, my. The station was making its transition. Not so much album rock, but just kind of rock with no jingles. Not really a lot of talk over, a little bit of talk over. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he was building a powerful staff. I remember that. Yes. MJ Ryan, Bob Walker, uh, Diane Tracy, Jim LaBelle, Ed Lambert. Yes. Oh my God, what a lineup. So
2: he said, well, we'd have to talk to uh, Dallas. And so I went over and talked to Dallas, and Dallas said, sure, (laughs) I'll take (laughs) you. And so I did a couple of more shows on ROK as a part-timer. Okay. Then as soon as he worked me over to the FM, I went over there and Never came back.
1: No, you were in up to your shoulders on ZOK. Yeah. Wow. How many years were you on ROK collectively and how many on ZOK? Total? Yeah.
2: 30? So
1: you were more on ZOK than ROK? Yes. Okay. Because I think when you have a sit down with Liz, you will have a boatload of stuff to tell her from the ZOK side. You
2: know, from 82, I went over to ZOK side. That for, early? From, yeah. Did you really? Yeah. It took me one year before I went to full time, and I tell you what drove them nuts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is when I was let go from ROK, I went and got unemployment.
1: For how long?
2: For one year. <laughs>
1: oh, geez, come on. It just worked perfectly.
2: <laughs> so well for you, yeah. I was able to work at ZOK part time and collect unemployment. <laughs> And And our bookkeeper, which I won't mention any names. Well, there's only one name. Brought it to my attention once. Oh, I've got your unemployment uh, verifications. You want those? But then what did you do? You went out and you pointed at your
1: car in the parking lot and you said, this is why I need to do this. I bought a brand new car.
2: Well, that's Uh. where in my mind I said... (laughs) this is not the right business for me.
1: Oh, because I'll tell you, they could walk in and say, I don't like the color of your eyes. Exactly. And you were gone.
2: And you were gone. And you were done, and you were gone. And and that happened. There was a lot of... I lived through some program directors that I don't want to ever live through again. Right. Philosophical differences, uh, they want to sound a little different. Mm-hmm. I ha- I was able to change my sound. But,
1: you know, part of that is if the program director, and I can speak about this one guy in particular. If the program director cannot articulate to his air staff what he wants, and he's not an air staff person himself, it's a little hard for us to figure out just where he wants us to be. Now, my favorite PDs, I never worked for Dallas Cole except for one night when the Rolling Mm -hmm. Stones came to Rockford, but my two PDs that I loved working for were Dallas Cole and Charlie Quinn. Well, Kipper McGee was in there, too, because Kipper, Kipper gave us a lot of flexibility to do a lot of cool things. Those are the people that could articulate with what they wanted from you. And whether I was doing Top 40 in the stand-up studio or Adult Contemporary and Talk in the sit-down studio, I was never misled by a program director, which, God bless them. It was a, a heaven-sent that I had well, people like you that.
2: you know what? It was, it was their job— to get the sound that they wanted to get the right. And, and sometimes they were wrong, and they left. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they get the ax first, you know. Yes. Uh, when the ratings book came out, it's like,
1: yeah, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't so sure this was going to work. Yeah. And, so, yeah.
2: you know what, I don't blame them. They had to put the right people in the right positions in the right place. And when I get into the ZOK thing, you know, I started out at middays. Then I went to overnight. I think, and then I went to 10 to 2, and then I finally went to afternoons, and it was all because of different program directors wanting me in different positions.
1: I did not realize you were the Pete Rose of WZOK. You played
2: every position. Man, I was beaten. But anyway, from 82 (laughs) to 87, I worked there full-time. Okay. And then 87, I left and worked there part-time. During the first four or five years... Yeah, I worked there part-time, but some of it was every other day, you know. Oh, Um, yeah. Because...
1: Were you the call-to guy? Oh, yeah. All the time.
2: All right. All the time. You know, in between program directors, I'd come in and do that shift. If I wasn't working at the station, the fire station, I would come in and do... I was doing remote still. Were you really? Yeah, I was doing it all for many years until the time when Liz and those guys came in, and then they had some personalities back. Yeah, they did. And those guys could go out and do all this stuff. Yeah,
1: and I think that was probably about 89, 1989, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's when Liz came, came into town. Yeah. Yeah, So for like a couple that. of years, I was doing it all. When you've got that much experience behind you, obviously, mm-hmm. you're the utility man. You're the guy that can paint and do electrical and do cement work. And I mean, you could do everything in the radio industry, and
2: that's what you did. Right, and I'm local, and I'm going to come in and do it. You know, yeah. I could do the remotes. I could do some of the other stuff. The station at that time uh, needed some help, and they had the wrong people leading it. They didn't. The leadership was bad,
1: and AM was trying to find its place oh, because AM FM was, was all, yeah, because FM was coming up and kicking everybody's butt.
2: Poor ROK, okay, you know, um.
1: <laughs> and that's about the only time you'll say that too. Yeah, because ROK okay was a
2: Top of the pile. First thing he did wrong was uh, let the engineer build a control board and give you a new studio. But let's, let's, let's face it. Engineers, we like to call them weird beards. Yeah. <laughs> weird beards. Oh boy, they can make it happen. They were all strange. <laughs> strange.
1: What do you remember Ed Jurek had a pet tarantula in the engineering room down yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, come on. and uh, that kept you out of the engineering room enough right there it's like yeah just let us do our thing yeah
2: and
1: (laughs) but I'll tell you who one of my favorite engineers was was Jack Lambiot Jack was fun he was one of those guys that when we were assigned to do something that was maybe a little challenging for the equipment he would MacGyver it he would figure out a way to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And that led us up to 1996 when we literally got an engraved invitation from Walt Disney World for their 15th birthday. They sent these engraved invitations to radio stations all over the country and said, come on down, help us celebrate. We'll pay for your hotel. We'll pay for your charter flight. We'll, you know, set you up in both the Magic Kingdom and Epcot and do shows and we'll set up guests for you. It's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? This is the ultimate red carpet. And Jack and I went down there. And the idea that Jack Lambiot was able to squeeze and connect all of our stuff in with whatever Disney was going to throw at us blew me away. It was phenomenal. And never once did we have an issue. And he just nailed it. And he was fun. He had been on the air before. He knew that side of the radio. And man, was it fun. Because of his personality. My favorite engineer,
2: matter of fact, it just came up on Facebook, was this guy by the name of John Q.
1: I remember the name, but I don't remember the person. I think his last
2: name was Shepler. No. Uh, I think he worked at Sunstrand, too. Oh. Or maybe he left to go to Sunstrand or something. But he's the guy that had the the AM sounding the best it ever sounded with compression and reverb. After that, many have come and gone. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's never been that good. Yeah. That's but back to, back to the ROK thing, so we could wrap this up. Yeah. You got the new board that hardly ever worked, and that was the downfall. Went from knobs to
1: slides. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> Yuck. There are people now that just don't want to touch a board that's got slides on it. They, really? Oh, my God. They want the high 45 degree angle with the knobs, and that's just what they're used to doing it's sort of like if you're used to a harley davidson you just can't get on a kawasaki I love the
2: knobs and i love vu meters and yeah that's it, just how it was
1: and it was all different when they went to the slide board and all digital bouncing bars and it was just very you know, different
2: i'm gonna leave here and remember a hundred million things about wrok great people like fred spear at any time of the night or day especially as a part-timer you were working <coughs> KTO-793, the studio. <laughs> this guy would come on the air, and we'd just throw him right on the air. Oh, yeah, because we and, knew he uh, had something. And that's how it was. Just to wrap up, I want to say nice things about Vern Nolte, Dave Salisbury, Ron Galena, the whole group, all the guys I worked with at WROK. Hey, thanks for putting up for a, with a young kid like me. <laughs> Well, I had my faults, too. You know, I might be hammering on you guys, <laughs> but you can hammer back at me. And uh, I hope they're all doing well. Most of them I keep in touch with. And we had a great time. And that was the era of the boss jock, the real good, hot-rocking, throwing radio jock you were. That's it. That 70s jock was coming to an end mm-hmm. and going to be replaced by Guy Smiley's. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I just glad that I got to work there and be a part of that kind of DJ. Because that's what I was, okay? The guys who were on the air were mainly the talents. And the guys with the g- degrees and that, they were the most, what's the word? Statistician. Yes. So they, they were going to go into the programming side. Yeah, they knew
1: the mechanics of it, but they didn't know the impromptu part of yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The, the, the mainly talented people were the guys... That just knew radio, got on radio, and did radio. Radio happened to be a vehicle for their
1: personality. Y- yeah. If they were goofy and they were impromptu, I mean, Bob Walker is a really good example on the WZOK side, or Scott Wallace on the WROK side. They're just Looney tune people. Radio is just the vehicle for getting it out. Today, they could be on a podcast, they could be on YouTube, they could be on television, yeah. but radio was the vehicle. A, a John Arthur. Oh, John Arthur, holy cow, yes.
2: Talking about him, you know, I was in prison when I was a kid, you know. uh, yeah. Okay, John, (laughs) another story, please. Uh, Very talented. Now, he had two stints at ROK, ZOK. One was ROK and one on ZOK. He did
1: what? Afternoons on ROK and mornings on ZOK.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah, two different times, and I got to work with him both times, and what a fun guy. Good for you. What a good guy. Uh, It's sad to see that he's gone. I can remember Um,
1: when he auditioned on the air, and it was a set-up situation where they says, hey, I want to be the new morning guy on WZOK. It was all set up, but it didn't sound necessarily set up. And he goes, hey, I've been here before. I know how to pronounce pecatonica. (laughs) And so he was rattling off all this local stuff. I know where the clock tower is. On and on and on and on and on. I've skated at the Ing before. And he was rattling off all this stuff, and then, of course, they announced the next day that they hired him. Well, it was all set up, you know.
2: Am I that guy in Good Morning Vietnam, that lieutenant that kept coming in, and yeah, you're the guy. (laughs) But, you know, if
1: they threw you and I into that programming spot, that would be a challenge, to herd all those creative cats and try to be able to keep 24-7 of people under the same umbrella, and get them all on the same road down towards the goal for ratings, that would be a challenge to do. I would not Uh, want to be a program director. For
2: me, that would be more perfect for me, where where the part would be going through and finding out what is the best song to play, looking and dissecting an Arbitron book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember, you live and die in ratings, folks. Not anymore, but there was then. Do you remember a guy by the name of Tony Clyburn?
1: Mm -hmm. He was at WLUV. He went on to Baton Rouge. He went on to Orlando Uh, right after LUV. He went over to the news department at WYFE with Randy Osborne. Mm -hmm. So we connected just recently, maybe a year and a half ago during the pandemic. And he is down in Columbia, South Carolina, and he's working for 93.1 The Lake. He does afternoons. I listen to him at least twice a week because I can do it on iTunes or iHeartRadio or something. And he and I talk, I don't know, maybe once a month or once every other month. He has shared with me some of the ways that Radio Now, because he's been there 30 years, he's got a lot of mm-hmm. you know, experience to go by, how Radio Now has a whole different look towards, like you're saying, with music programming. It's not like you're going to pull up Fleetwood Mac because of Fleetwood Mac. You're going to pull up that specific song because how it makes you feel. It may be a great Fleetwood Mac song. But does it make you feel good? Because, you know, Stevie and Lindsey Buckingham, a lot of those songs were breakup songs and they hated each other. But does it make you feel good? And I go, wow. He goes, yeah, we'll, we'll throw four songs out on the table and say which one makes us feel good. And they pick that and that goes in the playlist. And then they'll do another process. And it's fascinating well. to hear him talk about
2: it. I don't know if you knew this, and I I don't remember. I guess it was going on during my ROK days. I'm not sure, but I definitely saw it during my ZOK days. We had a separate company called Radio Research. Mm -hmm. What they did was they hired some girls, you know, no guys, and in the back sales area at night, they'd come in. I can remember. They'd make phone calls. So they would make phone calls all night. Yep. I've done it a couple of times a number of songs that they wanted to test. And I would have to get the hook of the song and record the hook of the song.
1: So they played the cart over the phone for the person? Correct. Whoa.
2: So anyway, let's say they had 10 songs, the PD wanted 10 songs, and then some questions. They'd say, yeah, okay, Reese, got you on the phone, great. We're going to give you something for this. I'm going to play you a song, and I want you to tell me if you like it, dislike it, tired of it, Never heard it. And then they would k- tally those. Yeah. What radio station do you listen to? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. But they were really uh, open questions that you could just kind of feel where your audience is. And our books would come out real close to and what And the idea was. that the Nolte's would do
1: their own research. Mm-hmm. Th- this is something they're paying for, which, you know, the Nielsen ratings and Arbitron and all that other stuff. That's, that's something you buy into that's going to happen no matter what. But the idea that they hired people to do this so they would have a feel and get ahead of the cart.
2: And then, when that was done, we started doing what they called auditorium testing.
1: Where you'd pull people into a group and R- have right. it right what, there? What,
2: what, what they would do is they'd make calls out and promise people some prizes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they would show up. And then they'd play it right there. And it's usually done by the consultant company. So how are they voting since it's in person? They'd give you a sheet of paper. Oh, they would? Okay. Yeah. And so okay. this is going to be real fast, people, and then we're going to give you your whatever they promised them. Album or whatever, concert well, tickets. nobody was to know it was our radio station. You see, and they'd hi- have me go out there and maybe <laughs> sa- set up sound, but I'd have to do it <laughs> cognito in and out so nobody could see. <laughs> yeah. And usually the consultant would come in and do it or something. Oh. So nobody would...
1: Really tie it to us. Yeah, you don't want to skew the audience, and you want that person to look very
2: independent. Yeah, and they would do, play this song, like it, familiar, blah, 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 blah. By any chance, do you remember where they used to hold those things? Ramada Inn, (laughs) or Holiday Inn, whatever (laughs) the name it was at the time. Wow. I was thinking like the Times Theater. And, you know, people would come back, Hey, Chuck, you know, I went to one of these things. And uh, it sounded just like z o k yeah the music they were asking, oh really, okay, and so oh. you acted you had to act dumb about, yeah, it? Yeah, really, <laughs> okay, wow, yeah, put your name down on the thing, okay, very cool, you know, <laughs> and that was part of the big success for me and the z o k thing is I went out to the bars, I got to know everybody you shake their hands, you sure. know, you sure. become. Hey, like, like they're best friends or yeah. whatever. And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Well, and they also felt they had an ear to the radio station, which was so important to them.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I heard yeah. you say this the other day.
1: Yeah. Hey, where's yeah. the party at again? Or if you could possibly play this for me for my girlfriend, that yeah. would be really handy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody's hey, got you
2: that. Write, like, hey, could you write it down? Preferably on money. <laughs> and I'll say anything. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. I think we're about done with the <laughs> R.O.K. stuff. Had a great time there. Wonderful people. Thank you to the Nolties. Uh You know, and, and it was kind of weird. As, as a young guy, I, you know, I found Mr. Nolte intimidating yeah. because he was the old man that looked like Alfred Hitchcock in the he back did. office. He did. Man, you a few know. words. And, uh, I'm just this young kid, like, yeah. <laughs> I, like, this is the, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this office. <laughs> I wish uh, later on I would have had more time to spend with a guy like that. Yeah, yeah. and just hear his stories. Yeah, because
1: boy, what a and, what a past! Um, Unbelievable. Hopefully, we'll get you know, some of those stories from other folks that were more tied to the front office, like Jan or Linda yeah, or Barb or any of yeah. those people, or Rowanna, Maybe yeah. you know we'll have some of those stories. But Chuck, it's been fantastic having you in today. We have gone longer than when we did with Doug McDuff. Isn't that an interesting accomplishment? Oh, boy. (laughs) So we'll have Chuck uh, back later to talk with Liz Wilder on uh, his WZOK days because that obviously is a whole different realm of radio that Chuck experienced here in Rockford. Chuck, thanks again. All
0: right. All right, man. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Storytellers Studio in celebration of WROK Radio's 100th year in broadcasting.